Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I'm delighted to welcome Jess Montgomery to the podcast today. Jess is the author of the Kinship Historical Mystery, set in the 1920s Appalachian, Ohio, and inspired by Ohio's true first female sheriff. Under her given name, she writes the Level Up Your Writing Life column for Writer's Digest. She also hosts the Tea with Jess, Chatting with Authors and Artists podcast, in which she, in which creatives share their journeys and insights. She was formerly a newspaper columnist focusing on the literary life, authors, and events of her native Dayton, Ohio, for the Dayton Daily News. She, she is a three-time recipient of the Individual Excellence Award in Literary Arts from the Ohio Arts Council, a two-time recipient of the Montgomery County Ohio Arts and Cultural District, District Artist Opportunity Grant, say that fast three times, and has been a John E. Nance writer in residence at Thurber House in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Jess, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you talk about writers, you talk with writers, and you're a writer yourself. But before we get to some of the meatier parts of the conversation, uh, let's start at the beginning. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Ah, that's an interesting question, because usually people ask me, when did I know um, I wanted to write? And that's a much younger age. That's an obnoxious six years old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I knew I wanted to write a novel uh, probably in um, my early 20s. And I made several attempts that didn't, I didn't complete um, a novel. And then when I was my mid-20s, I finished a romance novel. And that was the first novel that I wrote all the way through. Um, and I learned a lot from writing that novel. Mm-hmm. And then um, in my later 20s, I wrote a mystery novel. Um, it's my first mystery novel, never got published. And readers everywhere are so glad that it didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, the first novel, the first attempts at novels and the first completed novel were, you know, work that I had it was work that I had to do to to figure out, you know, how do you complete a full uh, draft of something? How do you put this all together? And I think just, you know, for folks who are going to be doing NaNoWriMo, for example, just finishing a draft, no matter how rough it Mm is, is such a confidence booster and such a big accomplishment and a big step forward in your writing journey. Um, And then I I completed a mystery novel and I went to a local writer's workshop called Antioch Writer's Workshop because I was intrigued by the teacher who was going to be there, this up and coming writer named Sue Grafton. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was a fan of her work before she became a bestseller. And I think the year she taught 
um, at Antioch Writers Workshop. She taught several times, but the year that I went was her first time teaching at that workshop. And um, I think she was about to hit the bestsellers list or was a year away. Wow. But in any case, she um, she critiqued my work and she you know, told me, here's what you're doing really well. And here's what you need to work on. Mm-hmm. And it was the perfect template because it I, I've I've just adhered to that my whole life with every project. What am I doing well? Keep doing that. Okay, what do I need to work on this time? So well, writing is a craft that hopefully we get better at over time. But you know, to be given that kind of a balanced critique mm-hmm. of the support from a wonderful writer, but then some, here's some things you can do or you need to work on for yourself, not what she'd want your book to be, but for yourself is incredibly helpful advice. It was. And I'm, I'm guessing that she saw a lot more that needed to be worked on than the two things she told me to work on, (laughs) but two things were enough you know, for me to make the next step and then the next step and, and to get me in kind of that mindset of um, not thinking my work is all terrible or my work has to be perfect in every way, every time out, but to think, okay, you know, serve this story, which is what I always tell people. It sounds a little woo-woo, but that's kind of my mantra, serve the story. And that means honoring what you, you know, you know, you do well. Um, and working on improving the areas that are a little weaker. Well, there are lots of ways to serve the story. And and sometimes those require uh, a lot of editing or rethinking Mm -hmm. your approach or (laughs) changing up the plot and things. And I think for early career writers, that that can be overwhelming. The thought Mm -hmm. that, oh, in order to serve the story, I need to rewrite the middle or I have to change the point of view or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There is a lot. So how did you develop the confidence to take an advice of a Sue Grafton and, and, and put it into, into work? Did you take classes? Had you been uh, doing other workshops? What, you know, what helped you develop your confidence as a writer? Well, this was actually my first workshop ever. (laughs) And I majored in English um, as an undergrad and took one creative writing class. And I got a master's in technical communication, took zero creative writing classes, but kind of stalked the creative writing teacher, poor guy, even though I wasn't part of his program. I'm like, I know I'm over in the tech end of the building, but please, could you just give me some feedback on this short story? Um, And he was kind. So um, I think I've just I've had that impulse of wanting to be a a writer and a better writer with every project um, my whole life. That's just been my life's journey. To me, the writing journey is a life journey as well. Mm -hmm. Um, My only other training was, um, and I say only, but I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I read a lot of craft books and Mm -hmm. I uh, subscribed to the Writer and Writer's Digest and just read every article I possibly could, um, you know, from, from those magazines. So I was kind of self-taught. Um, and I've read, of course, you know, the masters, I didn't just read Sue Grafton. I, you know, read Tony Hillerman. I read, you know, all kinds of marvelous writers. And actually I do remember, I do remember (laughs) when I realized 
I needed to be a mystery writer, which was we, my husband and I at the time lived out in California in the middle of the Mojave Desert in a small town, but it had this wonderful little library. And I had written that, that, that romance novel and sent it off and gotten some not kind feedback and felt a little despondent. But as I was feeling despondent, I realized I was sitting on the floor in the middle of the mystery section of the library, wondering, what is the limit again of how many of these books I can take home with me? (laughs) (laughs) And it sort of, you know, smacked me in the head of, wait a minute, maybe you should write in the genre you love, you know. That was going to be a question of mine. So, so you moved, what, well, so let's, let's reverse it. What made you write a romance first? Um, it's a terrible answer, but it's the truth. And that is, I thought it would be easy and it was not easy. And what I learned from that experience is never, ever. And mind you, I was in my early twenties. So everyone listening, please forgive me. Um, and what's funny is now, uh, since then I've published women's fiction and I read romance and women's fiction as well as mystery. But at the time in my early twenties, I thought, oh, this will be easy. Yeah. And um, it was not. And that was a good lesson for me to to go through was to recognize, don't think there are shortcuts. There aren't shortcuts. It's not an easy path. And please do not disparage any genre, uh, whether it's literary, sci-fi, fantasy, romance, mystery, because it's all got a beautiful spot on the bookshelf and it's all a challenge. So um, that's what actually made me first write a, a romance. So, well, and true confessions time. No, <laughs> I think true confessions are, are are good, and I love that you include literary and genre because there mm-hmm. are we nothing should be disparaged. And obviously, right. we're both members of Sisters in Crime. We do our work with um, this organization. We care about crime writing, right? But. You know, everything is work and has its own rules and its own way of looking at things that can be mashed around. But you need to understand. And I think especially when you're starting out, love the genre that you're writing in before you can do it well. I mean, you you need to love it in order to do it. You do. Yeah. And it's amazing what dropping a body in a romance will do to to make it a little more interesting for us crime writers. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we drop a little romance in mystery. So, yeah, that's right. No, there's and and they're two different things like romantic suspense is different than um, a mystery novel with romance. But they both they both belong on the shelves and, and have different ways of looking at them. Yeah. So. What in all of your work, Sue Grafton sounds like she hit it out of the park. And I've I've spoken with a few people who've gotten critiques from her and she was very good at that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's the best and the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten? And what's your favorite piece of writing advice to give Mm -hmm. to people? Um, So the best piece of advice I ever received was probably a mixture well let's see I want I was about to say never give up but I I think I think being coachable is the best advice Mm -hmm. I've received because never give up implies that just keep doing what you're doing over and over like you know if you keep beating your head against this wall eventually you'll break down the wall well and you'll have a headache and a very bloody forehead um so the idea of being coachable um that you take the advice in 
that's when it's good advice and and you um learn and grow from it and also to read 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 mm-hmm. you can't be um a, a, you know you can't practice your craft if you're not immersed in your craft as a reader so i think that's the best advice the worst advice was i had on one of the um county grants i'd written what i thought was a young adult novel uh, and uh, I was mistaken. I thought it was a young adult novel because um, the protagonist was 17. It was really women's fiction. Um, but I went to a conference in uh, New York and uh, did a roundtable where each writer read the first page of, <laughs> this is brutal, read the first page of their work um, so that everybody at the table heard it, of course, and at the table was an editor, like, you know, from a big imprint. Um, and they would give feedback on that one page. So I had honed and honed and honed this page. And the advice I got from the editor who did not let me complete the page reading was, this will never never sell. Oh. You've written, <laughs> yeah, you've written something that's uh, set in the 50s and nobody cares about stories set in the 50s. So it really doesn't matter what you've done. Uh, it'll, it'll never sell. And on oh. to the next person. Yeah, I know. So I'm sitting there like, must not burst out sobbing yeah. in the middle of <laughs> this uh, large group, you know. Um, and I actually went uh, shortly after that and met up to have lunch with um, the editor of, of a cozy mystery series I had published. And she almost immediately said, what's the matter? And I'm like, nothing, everything's fine. I'm having a great time. She's like, uh-huh, I know you well enough. What's the matter? Yeah. And I <laughs> told her the story and she's like, okay, first of all, that was brutal. And second of all, you know, let's talk about your story. Let's talk about the point of view you're writing from. Mm-hmm. And so she actually helped me re-see this piece I was working on in a proper way, even though she wasn't my editor anymore. Um, and the book did sell. It was called My One Square Inch of Alaska under my my other name, Sharon Short. So it did go on to success. But I think what was bad about the advice from um, the, the editor at the pitch table was just this, you know, dismissive, it'll never sell. Right. So I think, you know, that's bad advice because it doesn't ask the question of why is the story important to you? Um, you know, maybe it doesn't fit in YA if it's set in the fifties, right. but you know, so forth and so on. So I think if people get that kind of abrupt dismissive advice that you have to just get a really thick skin and learn to consider the source and in turn be dismissive and go, okay, I'm putting that aside. That's not helpful. So that's such great advice. Um, you know, that's also life advice. Um, yes. A friend of mine used to say, when people would say, I don't like something, she she would just say, well, that's why they make different color refrigerators, isn't it? So yeah. it's like not everyone, if we all like the same thing, yeah. all appliances would be black or white or avocado green or something, but they aren't <laughs> because everybody has has an opinion. And when somebody is in a position of power, which that editor at a round table was, it always hurts my heart a little bit when they take advantage of that and, mm-hmm. and dismiss somebody's work, you yeah. know, and not even let them finish their page. I mean, that the, that's an unkind 
person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I will, I will add, she was very young. So she yeah. had a lot left to learn and is actually the only editor I've ever encountered, whether they've accepted my work or not, who has acted in that manner. Every yeah. other editor I have talked with, um, like I say, whether they've accepted my work or haven't has been very professional and, um, not dismissive in that way. But I do think every writer probably has a story, whether it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be a big time, you know, powerful editor. It could be an agent. It could be a friend, you know, a, a, a friend. I'm making earmarks. Um, it could be somebody at a critique group. You know, it could be your writer's group. Um, we're all going to encounter somebody who who is dismissive in that way. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's the bad advice to not listen to because yeah. it's not delivered from a place of helping you become a better writer or a better person or understand the publishing world better. Absolutely. That's such an important thing to remember. So hard for people who are early in their careers to develop that mm -hmm. thick skin. So I give you a lot of credit because uh, I bet that that kind of feedback would have stopped a lot of writers from showing up. Um, yeah, I, well, and I was, like I say, I had already had novels published. So that's so, helpful. Yeah. So that very much helped, but you're absolutely to your point. That's absolutely right. I mean, if I hadn't, if my first encounter had been with that kind of attitude versus what I encountered with Sue Grafton, you know, I like to think I'd have stuck to it, but it might've been harder. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's already hard. So <laughs> it's already hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about your different publishing lives. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your process. You, you've got a historical series that you're, that's now, mm -hmm. you're working on now, which is different than a cozy series. I mean, historicals, I find fascinating because they take so much work and readers expect so much accuracy and um you know they're they're really capturing a time and there are historical fiction readers who will find a historical mystery but aren't necessarily mystery readers so you're also getting readers from a couple of different pools so what drew you to working on a historical and is your process for that different than it was writing your cozy series um, what drew me to it was, and, and it's also the case with the, the, the one square inch of Alaska that I referenced in both cases, the ideas, uh, that came that sort of found me, um, could not have been contemporary. So, you know, yes. Could I write a series about a, uh, a modern day female sheriff? Absolutely. But what intrigued me about, um, discovering this first female sheriff in 1920s Appalachia was the combination of it's the 1920s, it's Appalachia. This is a female, <laughs> you know, right. so just looking at that intersection of everything she would have had to have dealt with to do her job and balance family life and personal life um, was really fascinating to me. Um, so that, you know, it, I didn't set, I never would have said to myself, you know what, I'm going to write a novel about a sheriff, a female sheriff in the 1920s in Appalachia without there having actually been one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, um, I don't know that I've, I've always been fascinated by the twenties. So that kind of helped draw me in even more. And then um, I became fascinated as I researched about how hard it was to find uh, data other than looking at um, old newspapers 
and thinking about, you know, stories that my father would have told about his grandparents or whatever. So it's like memories of other people's memories in Mm -hmm. in a way um, to, to recreate rural 1920s. There's a lot about the 1920s in big cities, but not so much about rural America. So that also intrigued me. It became a bit of a challenge um, and one I embrace. And it was also fascinating to realize how the big sweeping, just like now, the big sweeping issues of the 1920s um, touched individual life after individual life, even in what we think of as the most remote parts of the country. Nobody was untouched by prohibition or bootlegging or later the Great Depression. You know, everybody was touched by this. So um, that's kind of what drew me in. In terms of the process being different, um, there's a lot more research, I will say that, yes. for <laughs> for uh, writing historical fiction than there, than there was for writing contemporary fiction. But at the same time, there was research for writing contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different amount and a, a different um, a challenge for researching. And are you... Um, a plotter, a pantser, a hybrid, has that evolved over time? I am uh, a hybrid, I guess. I I create what I, I used to think I needed to create, a, uh, you know, from point A to point Z plot line. Um, and I can't do that. So I'm not a plotter in that regard. I do not sit down and go. I mean, I know what's going to happen in the opening, of course. But, you know, by the time we get a few more uh, more than a few chapters in, I don't know. <laughs> um, but what I do have to figure out is sort of the infrastructure of the story. I really want to know, or think I know, at least as I'm starting to write, you know, why, why am I telling, first of all, why am I telling this? Story? Yes. Second of all, um, what's at stake here for the, the protagonist and the antagonist, um, but in a deeper way, not just on the surface, but, you know, on, in a deeper way. And what does the protagonist not know about herself? And I say herself because so far all my protagonists have been female, um, that she that she doesn't realize she needs to learn, you know, mm-hmm. that she'll eventually learn, but she's not even aware she needs to know this about herself. Um, so I try to figure all that out. Um, I do a lot of thinking about setting um, and how, and the interrelationships between characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to think a lot about the antagonist and make that person as real as possible. And then I like to think that I know the ending as in who done it. And I, so far, at least for the kinship books, I get to within, you know, the last 50 pages and the last month before my deadline and go, <laughs> oh, oh no, uh oh, the person I thought was the murderer really wasn't the murderer. <laughs> what do I do now, Scooby Doo? Um, <laughs> so it's a big rut row moment. Um, and then I just sort of trust myself to keep writing and figure it out and thank God for the revision process. So it's kind of a mess until it's not, but um, right. that's, that's my process. Well, it's a good, I mean, it sounds like a great process. Uh, you're also writing series and yeah. you wrote a cozy series before yeah. and you've written standalones. One standalone. One standalone. Mm-hmm. What's the difference there do you do you you know do you take okay I've got a contract for three books so I'm going to arc 
a storyline over these three books? Or how do you make decisions on um, how your characters are going to grow and change? And, you know, do you start with an ending in mind or for the whole series or do you just keep going? I know that's uh, a really hard question, so apologies. Oh, no, actually, but... uh, no, that's great. For for the Kinship series, uh, the first book in the series is The Widows, and I I thought I'd written a standalone. Yeah. And my agent um, thankfully sold it to a wonderful editor at Minotaur, but in a two-book deal. So the way that the contracts were written up was The Widows, well, that was easy to fulfill. It was complete. And the second contract was for a mystery that's historical. <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> that was the whole thing. And so I had thought I'd written a standalone. And there was nothing in the contract that said for the second book that it needed to be anything other than it's a mystery and mm -hmm. it's historical. Um, so I pitched a couple of standalone ideas to my editor and she was open to them, but she said, you know, I got to the end of the widows and I just keep wondering about this world you've created and this vast cast of characters you've created. And I honestly hadn't thought of myself as having created a world, but the minute she said that, I thought, oh gosh, I really did. Didn't I? <laughs> and she said, would you think about writing the writing series? So it took a couple discussions for us to figure out, you know, what the timing would be for each book um, in the story world. Um, but we got there and um, yeah, she was absolutely right. I, I became intrigued myself and thematically it, it, it works really well as a series, as the kinship series, because, you know, the county seat is kinship, but the theme of the series has evolved to be about the notion of kinship mm -hmm. um, and how how that works or sometimes doesn't work. And so each book is narrated by Sheriff Lily and by a person in the community. So with each book, I get to pick a different person from the community to be the co-narrator with Lily, which is a lot of fun. Um, but I didn't think I, I didn't start out thinking I'd written a series. So once, um, or a book that could become a series. So once I realized they were going to want more, Yay, first of all. And second of all, I um, I did. I plotted out actually through the end of World War II. Not mysteries. Right. But, but the life of, you know, what will Lily's life look like, you know, 20 years from now? And, and the kids and where will they be? And I sort of made this chart that had big events in our history and what year it was and how old everybody would be and you know, where would they be in life? Because that kind of helped helps me shape. This is where I'm kind of nudging them. Now, I, will we get to World War II? Probably not. But, you know, because that's a long way away <laughs> still. Um, but it's helped me kind of know how to drive the series. So. Which is and then great. for the standalone that I wrote, um, my one square inch of Alaska, and I'm working on a standalone now as Jess Montgomery, they're books that they are very, they, they could not possibly be a series. You get to the end and it, the reader knows it's truly the end. Yeah. <laughs> boom, boom. We'll see what, we'll see what <laughs> it's the end. You need to Unless read. Unless the editor says otherwise, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Well, and I've heard a couple of people I've talked to, uh, you know, on this podcast and just in life have had that experience lately where an editor say, I, I'd love to see more of these characters. I'd love yeah. to see more. So, you know, it's good that you're open to that and able to adjust. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it gets back to being coachable. Yeah. And I think coachable is such a perfect word for it because, you know, we can all learn, but coachable is, is helping you become the best writer you can be and acknowledging that taking advice, using what's helpful, but also understanding where your resistance is when people are coaching you. Um, and that's really the key because sometimes we can sit down and say, no, it's perfect. I'm not going to listen. You need <laughs> to be coachable. If you're still getting query letters that are rejected, you, you, you've got to figure something out. Exactly. And you mentioned NaNoWriMo uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, Sisters in Crime uh, is a sponsor of NaNoWriMo and, you know, we work on that together uh, and you can use it for a lot of different things. They have camps uh, in April and in July, which are great. But your your advice of just dive in and get that first draft done, especially if this is your first time, finish it is such great advice because that is so empowering and it's not going to be perfect and nobody's going to publish that first draft. Nobody's first draft is publishable. Um, right. But you can fix it. Right. And so what's your revision process like? Do you spend a lot of time? Do you take notes as you're writing? Do you finish a draft and then go back and revise? Or do you stop in the middle and go back, If especially if you've had to you sort of had your rut row. It's like, okay, I got to fix a lot of stuff if this is the bad guy. So let me, uh, let yeah, me do that. I kind of, yeah, I kind of do a loop-de-loop. Um, and, and my first drafts are awful. I, I don't even, in my word file, my I label them as raw. <laughs> I don't even call them rough or first. Um, because as I'm writing a first draft, I will literally type things in the middle like, Oh my gosh, why did you think you could tell this story? I mean, you know, I'm like self-talking yeah. as, as I'm writing. So then I do loop back and I clean that up and then I, I go a little further. Uh, and then I will hit a spot about mm, half to two thirds in where it finally kind of hits. I may not know the bad guy yet, but it hits me. Oh, this is this is what you really want to uh, work on. And I, I go back and do a bit of cleanup, but I will use the comment. Um, function of word to leave notes to myself, mm -hmm. um, especially if I've got momentum going. Um, and then I push through to the end. And I also always write way more than I need. I would uh -huh. rather have a really big pile of clay. <laughs> uh, and no, you have dialogue that's going on for way too long. You have description that might be lovely, but nobody needs three pages about this flower. Um, and yes, I have done that. <laughs> and, you know, so I know when I go back and revision, you're going to cut a lot of this down, but it kind of gives me confidence. Like I've got a lot of material here to work with. And sometimes within that three pages of whatever about a flower, I will find the sentence that is the gem that I really wanted. So revision, I greatly enjoy. The first draft, the rough raw draft is um, painful. I like the infrastructure and I like the revision um, the best. So um, the revision process, you know, by then I know what am I going after thematically? Mm -hmm. um, what am I, you know, and I also can, the, one of the joys of revision is oh, you've got this great scene on page, I don't know, 150. What if you tweaked this other scene on page 17 
that sets up what's going to happen on 150. And so it's a payoff for the reader. You right. know, they get to that scene on 150 and they go, oh, <laughs> oh. Um, just for me, that's not something I could plan ahead of time uh, in, in that much detail. I have to have the process of discovery, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I'll also say that I think, you know, whether no matter how we label ourselves, I always plot everything to the infinite detail or I just wing it as I go or you're somewhere in between like me. We're all really doing the same process. Okay. It's the same process for everybody. It's just at what point, you know, how much of it do you do subconsciously? How much of it do you do consciously? Yeah. So, yes, no, it, it's such an excellent point. Um, so you work, you give advice and you talk to writers a lot, but, you know, part of, and I love talking about people's writing journey, but, you know, publishing is a separate journey. Uh, mm-hmm. And so much, our writing journeys are in our control to a great degree. You know, mm-hmm. you can finish your book. You can write the book you want. Sometimes you'll also write the book that your editor wants or, you know, um, if, and, or that you think could get published. There's lots of, lots of ways of approaching your writing life, but your publishing journey, while you're certainly a participant is sometimes it's out of your control, um, or parts of it feel like it's out of your control. Uh, we write, you've written under a couple of different names. What about your publishing journey surprised you from what you expected it to be? Um, what surprised me about my publishing journey? So I think I started out as many people do thinking once that first book was published, I was set for life, that there would be no more downs. There would only be ups. Um, I would never hear no again because, you know, to me, I climbed and I did, I had, and everybody who gets published has, I created this great achievement, you know? Um, and I didn't stop to think (laughs) about how much the world changes around us. The publishing world changes. Um, there's, there is a bit of a, what have you done for me lately kind of feeling in the business side of publishing. Um, so I think that was, that was my, my big surprise, but it was, it was a good thing to learn because it actually led me to what you said previously, that the writing is what's in my control. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, it's up to me if I sit down and write or if I don't. Um, and, um, Publishing is its own its own beast, its own path, and its own business. And I and I think that um, sometimes people are, and maybe I was too a bit surprised about it's a business. Now people are in the business because they love books mm-hmm. and they love reading and they love connecting, you know, writers' creations to readers. So my hats off to editors, publicists, people who work in the publishing industry because that is not an easy path to go either, but it is in fact a business. And so just kind of wrapping your head around that and balancing that with at the same time, but you're a creator and you need to be aware of what's happening in the marketplace, but you can't really write for the marketplace in a hundred percent. I mean, you know, you need to be aware that if what you really want to do is create an old time radio um, crime script, 
with voice actors only, which actually you could do a lot much better, easier now with podcasts. Absolutely. You know, I used yeah. to say this before podcasts, uh, that, that you're, you're setting yourself a challenge. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but right. you're setting yourself a real challenge, you know? So you have to be aware of the marketplace, um, but not necessarily right to it. And also I want people to think about, don't let the publishing ups and downs embitter you. Mm -hmm. Um, I always get sad when occasionally I'll meet a writer who has so much to give, but they're so embittered by, you know, disappointments that they've forgotten the joys mm -hmm. of, of the path. That's such great advice. Um, and sometimes that can mean different things to different people, taking a step back or, you know, re-envisioning or changing your name and writing a new genre or something. Yeah. But, um, but you can do that, you know, find the joy in the writing. Uh, because yeah. it is a business and it's a heck of a business and it doesn't always make mm -hmm. sense to people who are deep into it. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep riding that way. This, this is true. <laughs> um, that's one of the reasons I think an organization like Sisters in Crime can be helpful because mm -hmm. you meeting other writers is critical. And we don't always recognize that when we first start out. We we think, oh, it's a solo journey writing. But you need a community who can mm -hmm. tell you you're not losing your mind or that, you know, yes, this is good or that's good news. Or, or as your former editor did, sit down with you when you get something that throws you off and say, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about this and, and has knowledge that they can impart instead of just wanting to make you feel better. Um, tell, tell me about your community and building community. And, and, you know, again, you're a columnist, you, you build community in a lot of different ways, but talk to me about building community. Well, thank you. Um, yes. I like to think I, I help build community with my column in writer's digest. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, a great community and a great resource for people along with Sisters in Crime. Um, and I used to direct a writer's workshop, Antioch Writer's Workshop, um, uh, for about 10 years. And it was really neat to see that community at work um, and, and people finding one another and making great friends, um, regardless of whether they, you know, not everybody who comes to a writer's workshop is necessarily going to keep writing, but right. that's fine. You know, they, they've explored that creative path and maybe there's a different outlet for them creatively. And yet they make friends with people who, you know, have been at the writer's workshop, which is lovely. Um, and through that workshop, um, and I'll also say the local Irma Bombeck writer's workshop, I've met uh, people who have become really great friends um, who also happened to be writers. You know, we were like drawn to each other because we were writers, but then we became friends and knew we would be friends even if all of us just stopped writing, right. which none of us have. But, you know, even if we did, we would still want to hang out. We'd still be friends. Um, and that community is truly important um, in, in terms of sometimes it's sharing pages or bouncing ideas, but often it's just setting down over a cup of coffee and just chatting about what's going on and encouraging one another. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my husband, um, is by by trade, is a computer scientist, but by avocation is a singer, which is great because then we we can compare notes mm -hmm. um, about the creative life. But you know, I don't understand his concerns to the same degree that his fellow singers do. And he doesn't understand my concerns to the same degree that my fellow writers do. So having that 
that uh, like-minded community is, yeah, keeps you going. Really does. It really does. Um, I love that your husband's a performing artist. So, you know, my previous life, I worked in theater for 30 years. So, so <laughs> I know these two worlds well, um, but it is a different, although both creative, it's a different world. Um, mm-hmm. So, but it's nice to have somebody else creative in your life who can at least honor that you're on a journey and understand the time and the dedication and the you know, the challenges. Yeah. 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 That's a good thing. (laughs) Going both directions. (laughs) Um, so Jess, what are you working on now? So I'm doing the final, uh, page proofs for the echoes, which is the fourth in the kinship series and will be out next March, March 29th, 22. Um, so it's my last chance to look at these words and finally we'll have to let them go. (laughs) So I'm working on those. Um, and I'm playing with some standalone ideas and, um, some essay ideas and writing away on those. So. Sounds awesome. It sounds really awesome. Well, thank you for being on the podcast and for sharing your insights and for all you do. Um, and you know, thanks for, for giving people insight into a 1920s sheriff in Appalachia and what that might mean, because you're right. That's a, that's a world that we don't hear about, um, a lot. (laughs) We hear a lot about London and New York and other places, but a rural community a lot of people live there and we don't have that insight so that's really terrific thank you so much thank you thank you for being with us today sisters in crime is about community we were founded to advocate for women crime writers and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.